You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.weareredwood.org. We pray that the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Thank you, Mike. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter number 8. And I'm so appreciative of the emphasis this morning of singing about the cross. Mark chapter number 8, I've enjoyed our series, just verse by verse through the book of Mark, and uh, we have been in this for uh, many, 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 many months, and uh, we will be in it for many, many, many more months. We'll have some uh, little topical series here and there uh, throughout uh, 2020, but our our goal is to uh, continue to plod through our series that we've entitled Jesus uh, from the book of Mark and seeing him uh, in and through each and every one of the texts. And uh, even, when the, even when the story is sometimes about another person, um, I think we have seen uh, in, uh, in this study that uh, ultimately it is pointing to the person and work and the uh, sufficiency of Christ on our behalf. We're going to begin reading in verse number one, uh, excuse me, 31, sorry, it, it, was, it had a one in there, but Mark chapter number eight, verse number 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. This morning I want to preach a message entitled, His Cross. It almost feels like this should be the Friday before Easter. And as I was preparing, as I was studying this, I was thinking, man, I could, I could save this text and preach that on, on, on Good Friday right before Easter. And then I thought, no, no, this is, this is perfect timing. And uh, we'll preach another uh, text about the cross on that, on that Friday. And then next week, we're going to look at a message entitled, Your Cross. And so really, it's a two-part type of, uh, two-part kind of mini-series here. Uh, in our study of the book of Mark. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come before you and we're thankful, Lord, for your word. We're thankful for, once again, the, uh, the reminder this morning of the cross. And God, I pray that, Lord, we would submit ourselves to you this morning, to your word, to what you have for us. I pray that we would listen with ears intent to not only hear, but to apply and to live out what we hear. I pray that we would not have just come in vain, that we would not have just checked a box, that we were in church on Sunday, and we're so thankful that people are here and that you allow me the immense privilege to, uh, to teach the Word of God to them. But Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be a, 
ritualistic thing that we've done, but rather that it's the very heartbeat of our week that sets our course for the life that you've lived us, that called us to live the next six, seven days until we get to come again. And Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I've said this to you before, but in many ways, I think you and I, we become too accustomed to the idea or even the symbol of itself of the cross. We, we see crosses every single day of our lives. There's one to your left, to my right. And as Mike pointed out, there's one here in the stained glass windows uh, behind me. And if it's, just, it's always in front of us. And if we're not careful, it loses its, it loses its power. It loses its significancy. And if you're not careful, you can kind of even in your heart, in your mind, you're like, you know, Ryan, I already, I already know about the cross some 2,000 years ago. I already know that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross. Why do, we, why do we have to sing about it again? And why do we have to hear another message about it again? And that is because sin is the ultimate human disease. It is the inescapable human dilemma that every person has. Every human being leaves a trail of obvious evidence of sin. All of us, all of us are kind of rebels at time in the way in which we live. All of us demonstrate at times moments of sheer foolishness making us at times live as fools and... You don't like being told that. I get that. No one does. But sin has wrecked this world. All of us, there are times when we step over God's boundaries again and again and again. And you see, it's not just a matter of behavior. It's actually sometimes the very desires of our hearts that will then lead to the behavior where there are times when those desires in your life and in your heart are there and it might not have the the, the evidence of it being in your life to others, but it's a deep heart issue. And it's not just that I sin. But it's the reality that I was born a sinner. Paul, or excuse me, David says that he was shapen in his mother's womb in iniquity. And it's not that we were just that we were sinners, but that we're born sinners. And because of that, there is no credible Christianity without at the center of that Christianity being the cross of Jesus Christ. It is mind-boggling to me as God has allowed me to uh, get to know people in our church and how over their kind of entire lives they would have maybe been in like systems of religion, and yet there would never be a symbol or ever be a mention of the cross, and yet you will find that that's in every one of our songs. It's the very, it's the very epicenter. It's the very, it's the very thing that you and I cling to. Listen, it is not enough to say that Christianity is simply a wonderful system of moral principles. And by the way, it is. There are moral principles within Christendom and it ought to affect how you live your life out in the world. It ought to affect how you view hot topics in our society. But if moral principles could rescue us, sign me up. 
because I will try to keep every single one of them if I could. But we know that that's not the case. It is not enough to say that Christianity is simply a wonderful system of wisdom for life. And surely you would find that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and Christ who is all wisdom manifests Himself in you. Thus you should live your life in a great awareness of this wisdom that you have. But Christianity must have a cross or it makes no sense. See, the cross is our, it's our only hope for eternal comfort. The faith that you and I have given ourselves to is dominated by death. It is dominated by a cruel, cruel cross of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus did not just come to teach, although we have seen much teaching in the book of Mark. Jesus did not just come to heal and do miracles, but we've seen tons of healing and quite a bit of miracles. Jesus came as the Lamb to suffer. He came so that He could die. He came to satisfy God's righteous requirements <coughs> Excuse me, so that forgiveness could be possible. Jesus came so new life could be given and His righteousness could be given and imparted to you and to me. See, this message of the cross, it can never be diluted. All of us are sinners. All of us, apart from the cross of Jesus Christ, are utterly and completely hopeless. And so I stand before you, and I know I'm boldly saying that if you've never come to the cross, figuratively in your mind, if you've never submitted to the cross, and what Jesus Christ was doing on that cross some 2,000 years ago of paying the price for your sin, if you've not come to that reality, can I stand before you and boldly say there is no hope for eternal comfort. And here's the reason why. Because sin, sin levels the playing field. Paul told us in Romans 3.10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. I mean, how humbling is that? See, I may think that I'm just a tad more righteous than you, Or I may begin to search for somebody out there that I know is not practically as righteous as I am, but then I come to what God's actual requirements are. And we see in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. Ah, you might be a little bit more righteous than me. I might be a little bit more righteous than you. But when we come to the righteous standard of God, all of us fall short of the glory of God. If the, if the, if the gulf between us and God is 100 miles and you can jump 99, you still fall short. And that's why this message is so important. 
This is why these disciples of Christ, they, 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 they need to understand the reason why He came. See, they, 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 they've seen the miracles. They've, they've seen the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. They've seen the blind who were not able to see can now see. They've seen the lame who could not walk now be able to walk. They've seen those that were filled with leprosy now be whole. They've seen the wonderful miracles. Jesus walking on water. They've seen and heard Jesus say, Peace be still, and the storm cease. They've seen all of that. But I want you to look at these words here in this text, verse number 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man must suffer. That word must, it, it reveals to us the very character of God. This suffering is the must of His sovereignty. It is God's plan to send His Son to suffer and to die to provide redemption so that all things could become new. That's why you see Jesus saying, I come to do Your will, O Father. He is submitting to the will of the Father. And listen, the suffering of Christ, it's not an obstacle to that plan. How often do you and I view the suffering in our life as obstacles to what we're trying to get towards? So often we do. But listen, the suffering that Jesus Christ was going to have to go through, it wasn't an obstacle to God's plan. It's not an interruption in the plan of God. It's not a, a, a deviation away from the plan of God. His suffering is the plan of God. This is a God who is, hear me, who is angry with sin. Who's angry with the rebellion of His creatures against His holy will. He's angry with, though he would, that, that we would write our own story. That you and I would make our own laws. He's angry that we would have created, that we were created for His glory. But you and I would live for our own. Are you excited you've been in church yet? Just stick with me. Rightfully, and he is holy in his anger. And yet, God is gonna will find a way that that anger can be satisfied without compromising his righteousness. And this is the must, the must of his love. This is the God of awesome and glorious love who's not going to turn His back on those that He has created, those that He has made. He's going to literally spend, um, uh, we could spend years meditating on the love of God. But God is driven by this redemptive love to wrap His arms around a broken world and to draw the world to Himself and to say, I will redeem you. I will forgive you. I will adopt you. I will accept you. I will give you righteousness. I will give you life. I will win. I love you. Is the message of the cross. The Son of Man must suffer. He must suffer because of who God is. And He must suffer many things. See, you and I, we, we misunderstand the work of Christ if we think that the suffering just began at the cross. See, every moment of the life of Christ was suffering. Jesus was willing to leave the splendor of eternity. 
He was willing to subject himself to the, to the full range of the harshest realities of life in this fallen world. And he would do that so that he could stand as your final Adam. Do you see, the first Adam, the first Adam failed. But Jesus, Jesus wasn't going to fail. He wasn't going to be like the one who could not obey. He was going to live a righteous life. And that righteousness, every thought, every single word, every single action that Jesus Christ did upon this earth, as I told you earlier in this study, was substitutionary for you. All of it, every word, every action, every, every deed that he ever did was for you and for me. So that perfect record that Adam could never do could be given to you. Jesus' perfect record could be substituted for you. He was accomplishing for us the righteousness that we could not accomplish for ourselves. Listen, it's all suffering. It is all this willing subjection to the will of the Father. And how more beautiful could this be? Well, it actually gets a little bit more beautiful. Because you see, the, the suffering wasn't just the physical torment that he went through. And oh, by the way, it was excruciating. The cat of nine tails and, and the being crucified on a cross. All of the things that, that, that went along with the scourging, the buffeting, all of that was horrendous. But you capture the greatest of his suffering in the dramatic moment on the cross when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Picture someone that's been one with the Father for all of eternity and past. And now God, the Father, turns his back on his Son as Jesus is bearing all of the sin of humanity, remember our problem, bearing all of it. And he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Listen, Jesus was willing to endure the rejection of his Father so that in that rejection we would receive acceptance. The greatest suffering that Jesus ever endured was your gain. So that you and I would never have to see the back of God's head. So you and I would not have to live in rejection. Listen, God is angry with sin every day. And hence he poured it all out on Jesus. All of his wrath was poured out on his son some 2,000 years ago when he died on that cross. And so you and I can be accepted. What an amazing term. We can be adopted into the family of God. And so in grace, we can live with the glorious knowledge that God, he's never going to turn his back on us. And so he says that we've got to He's got to suffer. He's telling the disciples, hey, hey, I, I, I came. I've, I've got to suffer much. But then, he, but then he goes a little bit more specific. He says, I've first got to be rejected. We see in verse number 31 again, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and must be 
rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. See, this was prophesied so many hundreds of years ago by Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. See, the very people that should have been worshiping him, the very people that that should have been looking for his arrival, that should have been aware that he was coming, the very people that should have been the ones that were kneeling at his feet in worship were the religious leaders of the day, and yet they were the ones that began to craft a plan to have him killed. And so he had to be rejected. He must suffer. He must be rejected, and he must be killed, and he must rise from the dead. See, there must be an ultimate, once and for all, sacrifice for sin. There is no other way. Paul said, for the wages of sin is death. The, book, the, uh, the, 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 the author of Hebrews, what, what we learn is, is that without the, the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no removal of our sins. There's no coming out from underneath the load and the penalty of our sins without bloodshed, without death, without a cross. And so the requirement is death, and praise God, Jesus was willing to pay your price and to pay my price. And after three days, he must rise again. Do not think of the cross as a defeat. And then somehow the resurrection as bailing out that defeat. Paul says in Colossians 2 that Jesus made a public spectacle of the powers and the authorities of all those that were crucifying him. We see in verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Let me just say really quickly there. Here's what that means. This is your remission of sins. No longer is it being stacked against you. The ordinances that were written against you, every single evil thought you've ever had, every single evil deed you've ever done, every single evil word you've ever said. Yikes! Long list, y'all. Some of you, your your list is longer than mine. Only because you're older. That's the reason why. I'm not trying to say I'm holier than you. Man, it's all getting stacked up there blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that are contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to what? His, talk to me, cross. All of that sin, everything that you've ever done, the remission of sins is through the shedding of blood or through the cross. And I love verse 15. It says, Having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. In what? The cross. Listen, the cross wasn't a defeat. The cross wasn't this, you know, horrible way that God somehow said the Father's like, man, we've got to redeem this somehow. And so it takes three days for God to raise him from the dead. No, no, no. This was all part of the plan. He must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. The cross is a triumph. Because on the cross, sin is defeated. On the cross, God's requirement for sin, the shedding of blood, is satisfied. On the cross, forgiveness has been purchased. On the cross, righteousness has been purchased. And on the cross, Jesus offers that once and for all sacrifice.
See, the cross is a triumph. But Jesus must also defeat the ultimate implication of sin. And the ultimate implication of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. And so in the resurrection, Jesus conquers death so that he can offer you life. Now, not just eternal life to come, and praise God for that, but life now, because sin, it renders us dead. We were dead men walking apart from this new life of the resurrected Christ. And what a complete, amazing, awesome, gorgeous plan. It's okay to say amen. It's a wonderful plan. Must suffer must be rejected, must be killed. And oh, by the way, three days later, rise again to provide you the eternal comfort that each of us are seeking. That's the epicenter of our faith. It is a humble and personal acknowledgement of sin. Hear me, hear me, hear me. You've done so well this morning. The cross, it defines you. It defines who you are. The cross defines your need. And you and I, we cannot back away from the humble message that the cross coupled with the glorious recognition of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to make all things new. And you can be one of those new creatures If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are that new creature. So now at the height of this glorious teaching, he's kind of, he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, hey, I got to suffer. I've got to be rejected by everybody, basically the the, the religious crowd. I've got to be killed. I've got to die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And in the midst of all of that, you know, you've got Peter. He kind of enters in onto the scene. And I love how Mark captures this. Because Jesus, Jesus is teaching publicly, and Mark does one of these things. Hey, Jesus, can we talk over here? Jesus pulls, or Peter pulls him aside, and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this like whole cross thing. And you know, Jesus understands his heart. You know that he clearly doesn't fully get the gospel. I mean, he's proven it here. Remember last week, this amazing confession that he made, Thou art the Christ. Man, that was a grace filled confession. He's working in your life just as he's working in my life. And he's going to continue to work. Praise God for that. So he's right here saying, I'm not okay with this. But Jesus does not talk to him privately. Look in the text. I'm, I'm sure Peter loved this. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, actually, I think I skipped verse 32. Let's go first, number 32. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And he said, hey, come on over here. He rebukes Jesus. I'm not okay with all this, all of this talk. But then Jesus, in verse 33, but when he had turned about... And looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. 
So in other words, Jesus just foretold his whole death, the reason why he had, you know, he's going to be rejected, he's going to die, and then he's going to raise again three days later. Peter kind of takes him aside. You know, it's, it's not okay. And then Jesus rebukes him to everybody else. Why do you think it was so harsh? Doesn't it, seem, doesn't it seem kind of harsh? He straight up called him Satan. Don't worry, I'm not going to call any of you Satan this week. But Jesus said, get thee behind me. Get behind me, Satan. Well, if you'll remember, early on in the book of Mark, Mark tells us about his temptation in the wilderness. You remember for 30 days, Satan tempts him. And we're only told about three different temptations. But clearly from the book of Mark, you know that it is a 30-day, a full-on temptation. And one of the ones that we learn about is that Satan comes along and Satan's like, hey, you can have this kingdom stuff without a cross. You can have it all. You don't have to be despised. You don't have to be rejected. You don't have to be crucified. You don't have to be beaten to death, basically. You can have it all. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, Peter, I've heard this before. When you say these types of things, you sound just like the enemy. You sound just like Satan. So get behind me, Satan. I've heard this before. I've conquered it then. I'm going to conquer it now. I'm going to set my heart, and I'm going to go to the cross to fulfill my Father's will. Now, please listen to me. I'm about to make a very strong statement, and I want you to hear it carefully. Anybody who ever presents acceptance with God, forgiveness with God, righteousness before God, and does not require a cross is doing the deceitful work of Satan. They might even come under the guise of Christianity. I'm very concerned about the masses of popular Christian teachings that do not mention the cross. Messages and books that sidescript the cross for living your best life now is utterly deceitful. Your best righteousness, the, the good things that you and I can do, you know what Isaiah says? When God looks at it, it's like a filthy rag. It's like a leper who has leprosy and his boils are filled with pus and blood and all kinds of nastiness and he takes that rag and when it can no longer absorb any of the pus, any of the blood, any of the water, you grossed out yet? It's almost lunchtime. And you were to take that rag and you were to discard it and you were to say unclean and you were to throw it in the fire. That is the word picture that Isaiah is saying. That the good things that we do compared to God and what Christ did Those are like filthy rags. Hear what I'm about to say. There is no hope apart from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I, we must not dilute this message even a bit. Ryan, don't you realize that we're living in 2020? Don't you realize that we're we're trying to do church in the Bay Area? And the Bay Area, they don't want to hear that they're sinners. The Bay Area, they don't want to hear someone get up in front of them and at the beginning of their message say, you act like a fool sometimes. I mean, weren't you excited to hear that? Hey, listen, we're not shying away from the cross. 
Because you know what the cross does? The cross takes care of our reality because that is who we are. And we've got tons of evidence to prove it. And so we don't want to dilute this message because the stakes are too high. It's very tempting to lean towards self-righteousness and the notion that we can become better some other way. I mean, who, who wants it in their humanity this way? But we're not going to dilute it. Now, some of you are going to understand what I'm about to say. And others of you, you may be a little too young. But that's okay. I'm going to say it anyways. Mankind does not simply need tweaking. See, you tweak a poorly written essay or sentence. Human beings need to be fundamentally rebuilt from the inside out. My friend, that is so freeing if you will let it sink in. Because if the Christian life is all about tweaking, then listen, you and I are never going to measure up. How many of you have been angry and don't raise your hand? Don't raise your hand. But how many of you have been angry and really kind of had feelings of hatred towards someone lately? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, that's like you've committed murder already. So we need some more tweaking then. A whole lot more. And we're churched people. I wonder if we've had a wrong sexual thought about someone that is not our spouse lately. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, when you have those thoughts, you've committed adultery in your heart already. A whole lot more tweaking is needed. But you know what the gospel says? The gospel says you are freed from having to measure up because Jesus fully measured up. And as Jesus fully measured up in His cross, He and when you come to that cross, you realize what Jesus was doing. He was dying to pay for the sins of the world. And you accept that. His new life, the Holy Spirit of God, takes up residence within you. And listen, that's the game changer. You and I don't just need a simple nudge of grace so we can be tweaked here and there. You know what I need? I need radical rescue. I need radical forgiveness and power and deliverance, and that is exactly what Jesus provides. All of it. That, my friends, is the Gospel. And you and I can be freed to live in a way that is just so radical to the next part of this text when we are freed in who Jesus is. And any message, in any truth, any book that is shying away from the true means of salvation, the true way of salvation, which is through a bloody cross of Jesus Christ, ought to be shunned. Ought to be seen as that is a tool of Satan. Ryan, no, listen, there's no neutrality. It's either Jesus or it's ourselves. And by the way, when you go to the book of Revelation at the end, 
Those that reject Jesus, they get judged by themselves. They get judged by their works. The word works is their good deeds. They get cast into the lake of fire. Jesus or ourselves? Well, Jesus includes a cross. Jesus includes must suffering, must be rejected, must die, and praise God, three days later will rise again from the grave. The tragedy that our Christian bookstores are populated with writing that promises your good life apart from the cross, it's tragedy. That there's books on marriage that do not mention the cross. That there's books on parenting, oh Lord help us with parenting, that do not mention the the radical rescue that we find in Christ, that we, in Him, we can be good parents. Infuse your life with the truths of the gospel and you will find that your daily life is radically different. And that's where the text will lead us next week. Because Jesus turns in this text from saying, hey, here's the cost of my Messiahship. The Son of Man, He must suffer. He must be rejected. He must die. And He must rise again. The cost of who He is. The cost of why He came. The very plan of God. And then He shifts in the text, and we will get there next week, to the cost of discipleship. The cost of following Him. The cost of what this message of the Gospel will actually produce in your everyday life. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me say it again, there is no hope for eternity. None. There's no comfort in the idea of death. But in Christ, who is willing to suffer, not only the physical side of it, just living every day, and then the Father turning His back on Him so He would never have to turn His back on you and accept you. He is the answer to being comforted about your death and about eternity after we take, this last, after we take our last breath. So in a moment here, I'm going to have, our, have everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. And I'm going to ask you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, there's no hope. I'm going to ask you to do something super radical. With everyone's head bowed and everyone's eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and I'm going to ask you to go to the back. And we're going to show you from the Word of God how you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's worth it. It's worth it. Because Jesus said, I must suffer. I must be rejected. I must die. And I must raise again so I can give eternal life to everyone. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Man, the cross, I don't apologize for it. It really does shape how you and I are supposed to live our lives. Because you have a cross coming and that's next week. I hope you come and hear about what the Lord wants to do in your life through the gospel. If you need to trust Jesus Christ, your Savior, I'm about to slip to the back now. Please, every head bowed, every eye closed. Please, don't embarrass anybody. Man, if you've got to get that eternity thing settled, myself will be back there. There will also be a lady. If you're a female and you'd like a lady to talk to you, 
Listen, now's the time. Talk to the Lord.